to the Living Rock podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. Could you turn with me, please, to Psalm 34? I'm trusting that everyone is enjoying the Psalms as much as I am. We really felt as as elders to spend some time together in the Psalms, really as a a place of rest, a place to pause. You know, there's a word that crops up in the Psalms, which is selah, you'll see often in your Bibles. And it can mean a pause or a crescendo. It can mean a a break in proceedings, but it's a place of contemplation. It's a place of wonder and amazement and meditation. And that's what the Psalms are for us. Um, Well, this week we've been reading Psalm 34 up to, I think it's 41. That's the section that we're on. And to be honest with you, you could be forgiven for not getting past Psalm 34. Because it's such a fantastic psalm. Um, I did read further than 34. Um, But I really felt drawn back to this psalm. And in everything that's happened so far today, I really believe that God is doing something in us. And and he will continue to do that through his word. So this is the title. Are you faithfully fearful or are you fearfully faithful? It's not a tongue twister. I've tried saying it lots of times. (laughs) It's a really important question. Are you faithfully fearful in your life or are you fearfully faithful? faithful. And um, that'll make a lot more sense as we go through. Let's just start by reading the word. So if you just turn with me to verse 1, I'm going to read from the ESV this morning. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps his bones. Not one of them is broken. 
Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. It's a wonderful psalm. We're told it's written by David. And at the top of your Bible, it'll probably say something about the event um, that preceded this. That David, this is back in 1 Samuel, where he is on the run from Saul. And uh, he goes into Philistine territory. And he comes across a king called Achish. Uh, in, here it says Abimelech, which was just a title for a Philistine ruler. And... Um, they realized who he was, that this was David, and saw him as a threat. So David pretended to be mad and dribbled over himself and started scratching the walls, which is a, a unique um, strategy to deal with <laughs> maybe bullies in the school playground. I never thought of doing that myself, if I'm honest. Um, I just ran. Um, but um, it worked for David because they let him go. And after this, he writes this wonderful psalm. And um, there's just three things I want to bring out of this psalm for you today. Three things, simple as that, three things for you to remember. The first is this, praise is always the answer. Whatever the problem, praise is always the answer. The second thing is this, fear can be a friend or it can be a foe. And the third thing is this, is faith puts things in the right order. Okay? So we're going to start with the first one. We're going to go through these verses in order, just starting with verses 1 to 3, where David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I think in the message it says, my lungs will expand with praise. I really like that. My lungs will expand with praise. And for us, praise and presence go hand in hand, folks. If you want to experience the presence of God, then you have to praise the Lord. Now, I think, and it's taken me quite a long time to understand something about worship. I don't think it's an easy thing to understand that we worship the Lord. Mentally, it took me many years to really understand it until one day I started to understand it with my heart and stop analyzing it with my brain. And one of the problems I had was that I, I couldn't really get past the fact that God needed to be praised because that sounded like someone that was needy, that needed some kind of affirmation. And then I just realized one day that actually, I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where the view is so breathtaking that it just stops you in your tracks. Have you ever seen anything like that? What happens next is just awe. And that's what happens when we come into the presence of God. God doesn't need our praise. He's not needy. It's simply when you're in the presence of God, the natural thing to do is to praise him. Because he's so awesome. When you see him in his glory, you just stand there in amazement. And that's what God wants us to experience all the time. And that can be our experience all the time. Praise is the gateway into God's presence. And that means that whatever we're facing, we always start with praising the Lord. That's why it's the answer. Because when we praise the Lord, we're coming into the presence of God. And when we come into the presence of God, we see God how he really is. And then we see the situations that we're in as they really are in comparison. In other words, it puts everything in perspective for us. And that's why it's so important for us as the people of God to be a people of worship, a people of praise, that praise just dribbles from our lips, that there's a constant flow of praise. 
Paul encouraged us in everything, he said to the Ephesians, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, David's heart was to frame everything in his life with praise. He was the worshipful king. And everything in his life, he put it in a context of praise. And God showed him clearly. The second thing is this. If you go to verse 2, it says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Now, David's boast was always in God. You know, one of my heroes is the Apostle Paul. I absolutely love the Apostle Paul. And his boast was in the cross of Christ. Wherever he went, he said all we did was to preach Christ and him crucified. And praise must be born for us out of grace. The praise in your heart can only come from a place of grace. We are unique in all of creation. Unlike the angels, unlike the animals, unlike the earth, we are the redeemed of the Lord. And we have a unique song to sing on this earth. We know what it's like to experience the grace of God. And this is the important thing, folks, that as you go through your life, and as you get to know the Lord more, and as you let him change you, he will open your eyes to see what you were like before you got saved. To see how dirty you were before you got saved in his sight. Because he shows you what sin looks like to him. You don't feel condemned about that. You realize what God has saved you from. And then you realize the enormity of God's grace towards you. And this is what happened in the life of my hero, Paul. When you read through the New Testament letters, his confession changes. One of the early confessions we see is that he regarded himself as the least of the apostles. He said, I'm just the least of these guys. And then later on, we see that he says, actually, I'm the least of all God's people. I am the lowest. And then eventually, in one of his last letters, he says, you know what? Of all sinners, I'm the worst. That this man, who became more and more Christ-like, realized what God had saved him from. And he became more acutely aware of the grace of God. If you want to be someone who worships the Lord, ask him to show you how gracious he's been to you. Because if your worship is based on your revelation of God's grace, it will only grow. But if how we worship him is based on the things that he's doing for us, now we talk about the things God has done, and it's good to boast in those things, to say, I'm thankful to God, I count all his blessings. That's great. But there's a higher boast, folks, and it's in the cross of Christ that you didn't deserve. It's in the crown that you didn't deserve, the royal robes that he put upon you that you didn't deserve. And if your revelation grows in that, you know what? You'll never struggle to worship. You'll never struggle to find your lungs expanding with praise. Here's the third thing. Notice in the third verse, he says this. David says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Praise is always communal. It's a communal activity. If you're on your own in your bedroom, just spending time with the Lord. You know when you praise the Lord, you're not on your own. God has already spoken to us today about a heavenly reality that's around us. I'm so desperate to see into that heavenly reality. I want the Lord to open my eyes to see into the heavenlies so that that becomes more real to me than that which I'm seeing with these. 
And when you're on your own, there are myriads of angels joining with you. When you lift up a cry of praise, they're all saying, amen, 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 because they're around the throne and they welcome you joining in the throng of praise around the throne. David is a man who said, look, I've seen the deliverance of God. But then he invites others to join him in praise. And so often when we come together, some of us will find that there's something in, going on in us that's a barrier to us pray, praising God. Like Sarah said earlier, that there's rocks in the way. There's a, a dam there. But others will say, come join us to worship. And you know, it's an opportunity that is. Or as David would say, it's a chopportunity. It's an opportunity for you to praise despite those things. And that's really the key. That you don't wait for those things to go away. You don't wait for the challenges to be gone. That you worship him anyway. And, and David is inviting us to join him wherever we're at. In verse 4, he says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And this is the main thing I want to talk about today, is fear. See, fear can be a friend or a foe. There are two different types of fear that David alludes to in here. This first type of fear is not the good type. Now, I know that there are natural fears, like there's a fear of burning your hand, and that causes you to, to keep yourself safe, and we're not talking about those things. We're talking about those fears that are on the horizon, that have the potential to do you harm and start to dominate your thinking and start to take over your life. And that's what the Lord's been talking to us about this morning. They're the things that Richard was talking about a bit earlier. And I think fear can work against us in three different ways. The first is this. Fear is the enemy of faith. You know, one of the great presidents of America, Roosevelt, when America, when his nation was going through a time of unprecedented calamity. They were on the edge of a precipice. And he said to his nation, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. And you know, sometimes folks, the problems that we have to deal with in life, the biggest problem is the way we feel about those problems, not the problems themselves. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? When a challenge comes your way, the biggest thing you have to contend with is the way you feel about that challenge, not the challenge. You know why? Because you have someone on your side for whom nothing is impossible. So any challenge that comes your way, he's with you and can sort that out. The problem is how you're feeling about that challenge. And he can't flick a switch and change that. That's down to us. It's down to a decision whether we're going to trust the Lord or not. And it's interesting, I think, that David starts with this in verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And then he talks about God delivering him from the situation. You know, God has to deliver you from your fears first. God doesn't come swooping in and just clear all the obstacles out of your way straight away, does he? He wants to deal with your feelings about them first. He wants to deal with our fear and whether fear is our go-to place or whether faith is our go-to place. And fear is the enemy of faith. You can't have both. Fear will drive a wedge between you and the Lord. So that it'll stop you trusting him. And sometimes, you know how fear takes a hold of you? Is if, you know that sort of, you can imagine someone hanging on the edge of a cliff. 
by their fingertips. And it's like God comes along and says, if you just want to let go of the cliff, I'll catch you. And everything in you is screaming, don't let go of the cliff. It's all over if you let go of the cliff. And that's the very thing that God asks you to do. And, and he will allow things to come into your life because he knows your weak points. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows our vulnerabilities. And he lets the very things in that sometimes we're fearful about. And in the midst of that, he'll say, are you going to let go of the cliff? Are you going to trust me? And when that happens, when we respond to him, something happens inside of us. Something changes dramatically. And that's what's important. The next thing is in, in verse 6, it says this. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. You know, another, another problem with fear is that it's the enemy of patience. Have you ever found that God moves, A, when you expect him to, and B, when you think he should? Because I rarely find those things happen. My timetable and God's timetable are rarely the same. But here's the thing. God is never late. God is never late. God never moves too late in a situation. He's never tardy. He's always on time. When he moves, it's the right time to move. And we may not always see the reasons for that, but God does. What often happens is the Lord will promise us something, and then there's a gap before we see the fulfillment. But you know what, folks? I've learned that the gap is the most important thing. It's not actually the resolution of the situation. It's the gap. What do you do in the gap? That is your opportunity to let the Lord increase your trust in him, to work patience, endurance, steadfastness, to toughen you up. Folks, that's all part of the process of maturity. And God will never be late. He's always on time. I think it's interesting that it says he delivered or saved him out of all his troubles. Do you know, I sometimes wish that that said helped him avoid all his troubles. God will never promise you that you'll swerve around all the troubles in life. He'll say, no, no, you're going to go headlong into it. But guess what? In the midst of that trouble, I'll be there. And you'll meet me in the trouble. And that's where we're going to do business. That's where I'm going to change you. And that leads me on to the third point. In verse 7, it says this. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David is talking about a spiritual reality. And God has been talking to us about that today. He wants us to see the spiritual reality. And folks, this is how important it is. Everything that the Lord is saying to us as a body about what he wants to do in us and through us requires us to see into the heavenlies. It requires us to see what God is doing in the heavenly realms and to intersect that with what is happening here on earth. And it's absolutely vital that we start to see more into the heavenlies. Right. Folks, we only need to be hungry for that right. and willing for God to change us. He's the one that does the rest. He's the one that opens the eyes of your heart. Yeah. It's not about effort. It's just about hunger. And the problem is this, is that faith only, sorry, fear only sees half the picture. Yeah. That's the problem. Fear is short-sighted. Fear only sees the natural 
fear doesn't see what's happening in the supernatural. Do you remember that story um, about Elijah where he's surrounded by the armies of Syria? Do you remember that? And he's standing with his servant, and the servant sort of looks at him and said, well, I think we're about done here, aren't we? It's just the two of us, and there's all these soldiers ready to slaughter us. And Elijah prays to the Lord. He says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And then he sees that there's this army, and then there's this vast army that vastly outnumbers them, and that's heaven's armies. Do you know, when you feel alone in a situation, when you feel like you're fighting something on your own, heaven's armies surround you. The Lord encamps himself around you. And sometimes, at the moments of greatest vulnerability, he's there in greatest force. But you just can't see it if you're looking at the situation with the natural eyes. Whatever situation you come into, whatever challenge you face, let this be your prayer. Lord, show me the heavenly reality. Show me heaven's armies. Show me what's going on in the spiritual realms. Show me the thing I need to contend here. If there's something that needs dealing with in the heavenlies, show me, Lord. And sometimes that can be the quickest way to get through a challenge, to deal with the the problem, the real problem in the heavenly realms. When you can't see a way out of a problem, ask the Lord to open your eyes and you'll see heaven's armies waiting to move. But that's natural fear. But there's another type of fear, isn't there? There's the fear of the Lord. And that's what David goes on to talk about in this next section. In verse 8, he says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This is the funny thing about the fear of the Lord. Rather than causing us to shrink back from God, it causes us to cling on to him. It causes you to be drawn to him. It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? If I'm fearful of God, surely I take a step back. Whereas actually, when you're fearful of God, you take a step closer. And here's why. Because you realize how awesome God is and actually how undefeatable he is. It's like, imagine if if there was a fight in the room. And it's you lot against me. Okay? I'd be fairly fearful about that. But then this big giant walks into the room whose name is Jesus. I think I'd go closer to Jesus, maybe slip behind him slightly. And I'd feel a lot more confident. I would fear him because he's awesome. But I'd cling to him. You know, that's the revelation that Peter had when Jesus said, who do you say I am? And he says, I believe you're the Christ. And he said to him, you have the words of life. No one else has got them. Folks, he's the only show in town. There's no one else. Everyone else is a fake and a charlatan that offers you a solution. He's the real deal. And folks, it's no contest between him and the powers of darkness. It might be a battle, but you know what? It's a one-sided battle. And that's why the Lord wants us to have a fear of him, a righteous reverence of him, because as he opens our eyes to see him in all his glory, do you know what? We cling to him. Because we know if we're we're by his side, nothing can touch us. 
The second thing is this. Fear of the Lord is an enemy of worry. Fear of the Lord is an enemy of worry. If you look at verse 9, it says this. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. All of us, at one time or another, worry about things, don't we? I don't think there's a person in this room that can claim never to have worried. But you know what? The more you fear the Lord, the less you can worry about anything else. There's like your problem, and then there's God. And the more you see how big he is, the less you think of this. This is nothing compared with God. They're mutually exclusive. Only one of them is going to be sovereign, either your problem or him. And we have to make our mind up who it is. Is he bigger than my problem or is the problem bigger than him? They can't both be true. The problems can't be insurmountable and God be sovereign. But God is sovereign and can deal with anything that comes your way. That's why Jesus said, look, don't worry about anything. You know, when you read that, you think, God, well, that's easy for me to say, isn't it? But he was speaking the truth. There's no need for you to worry about anything because God is on your side. I think I'd like one of those T-shirts. You know those T-shirts that say, I'm with stupid. Have you seen one of those? And there's an arrow pointing like that. Has anyone seen one of those? Okay. Maybe one that just says, I'm with him, and an arrow pointing upwards like that. (laughs) Stay out of my way. I'm with him. And folks, we need to have a confidence in the Almighty. He encamps himself around you, wherever you go, whatever situation you're in. No need to be intimidated. No need to worry. Because heaven's armies are all around you. The angel of the Lord has encamped himself. And he is watching over your every step. When you know that, you hold your head up high in every situation. Whatever it is. Because God is for you. And lastly... Fear of the Lord lets us see his faithfulness. The fear of the Lord lets us see his faithfulness. In verse 10 it says this, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now I have to remember, when we're reading the Psalms, we get repetition, we get parallelism, where things are expressed in different ways, like we find in the Proverbs. And here, David is saying, about fear of the Lord, but he's also talking about taking refuge in God, and he's talking about seeking the Lord. And he's talking about the same thing. He's talking about that fearing God and clinging to him. And he's saying, look, when we fear the Lord, we see him as he really is. We know that we'll we'll suffer no lack in this world. The young lions suffer want and hunger. It's a picture of the strong things of this world. The lion's king of the jungle. What David's saying is, look, the strong and the mighty of this world may suffer hunger, but you won't. The strongest thing this world has to offer may struggle, but you won't. And we have to realize that we are above the things of this world because we have heavenly resources. And that's why Paul says, may out of his heavenly resources... God give you everything that you need. There's a recession going on, folks. It's a global recession. No one really knows what's going to happen. No one really knows what's next. Because all the policymakers of the world and all the governments of the world have pulled all the levers they've got. And nothing much is happening. And there's no levers left. 
and the world feels like it really doesn't know what's coming next. Well, do you know what? That doesn't affect you. You say, well, hang on, I've got a job. I need to earn money. I need to live in this world. Yes, you do. But God is your provider. And your confession, and that over your household should be, we will suffer no lack. We will lack no good thing. Because God is our provider. When we fear the Lord, you see, we see his faithfulness because we know that God never changes. That means he's faithful in every single situation. He doesn't undulate like everything else in your life. He stays the same. He's always faithful in good times and in bad, in sun or in rain, like we sang a bit earlier today. So the third thing is this. Faith puts things in the right order. And I really like in the, in the rest of this psalm, verse 11 through to the end, David then starts to talk about the order in which we need to put things. We need to put things in the right order to do things properly. And he talks about three things. He talks about the tongue, he talks about the heart, and he talks about the body. And I really want to just talk about getting those things in the right order. All those things are important, but they have to come in the right order. And David starts with the tongue. He says in verse 13, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. It's the same thing. It's a repetition there. That your tongue sets the course of your life. You know this. We've talked about this many times. The word says, your tongue sets the course of your life. The things that you say will determine how your life will go. You are the prophet of your own life. And that's why it has to start with the tongue. That's why praise is always the answer, because it starts with the tongue. We praise our way through a situation. The tongue is important because it's the gateway to the heart. The Bible says, out of the mouth, there's an overflow of the heart. But the tongue's the gateway. There are things, there are feelings and thoughts that can start in your heart and make their way up to here, and then you're the gatekeeper. And you can shut the gate and say, I'm not letting that thought out. I'm going to take captive the thought. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, take every thought captive to Christ. I'm not confessing that because it doesn't line up with the word and it doesn't line up with who I am in Christ. So let your mouth be a gateway and use your tongue only to build, never to tear down. Even when we're tearing down the works of the enemy, we're building the kingdom. That's how we do it. We uproot the works of the enemy by building, by speaking positive things from the word of God. Folks, our words really matter. One of the most sobering scriptures is in Matthew 12, 36, where Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every word that you've spoken, you'll give an account for it. I praise God for his grace. Boy, do I need it. But I'm not finished yet. I have an opportunity, and so do you because I have the rest of my life to live, however long that is. And I have a choice about what comes out of here and what I use this tongue to do. And David is saying, start with building. 
couple of verses down, he says this um, in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. There's something in the cry of the righteous tongue that causes the ears of the Lord to prick up. Folks, there is an increasing amount of noise in this world, isn't there? Noise, noise, noise. Voices, voices, voices. You can't get away from voices and noise. I sometimes think when God's looking down on everything, he's just hearing all the time. Well, you know, in all of that noise, the righteous tongue finds its way to the throne room. It doesn't get drowned out. And in all the things that you use your tongue for, all the things that you say, are the good things just every now and then? In other words, is your cry being drowned out by things that you shouldn't be saying? We need to be really careful in this area. We need to be careful of the way we talk about one another, the way we talk to one another. You know, there's a proverb that says, let my lips be seasoned with grace. I love that. Let my words be seasoned with grace. And I find that a real challenge. Because I grew up in a house where criticism was often order of the day. And that was the first thing that came out. And the Lord has had to train me over the years not to do that. And I think it's really important for all of us, the way we speak to one another. Your words can build someone else's life. Your words can change their day in a moment. How amazing is that? God can give you a sentence to say that could change someone's life in a moment. When we really get a hold of how important that is, I believe we'll really seek the Lord and say, Lord, let this tongue do amazing things today. The second thing is this. He talks about the tongue, then he talks about the heart. I find this a very, very interesting verse, to be honest with you, that I've spent a lot of time just thinking about. Verse 18, he says, Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Now, I believe that God does draw near to those who are brokenhearted. The anointing upon Jesus was to bind up the brokenhearted, which means the anointing that's upon you is to bind up the brokenhearted. But God isn't drawn to the brokenhearted like he's sort of drawn to the drama of it. He's not a drama queen that thinks, oh, some, when someone's brokenhearted, I'm, I'm there for the drama. He's drawn because when that happens, there is something that can happen in your life with your heart, something quite precious when you're brokenhearted. It's a moment of vulnerability where you can surrender to God. And I, I don't find it an easy thing to understand this, I have to say. But there are times in the worst situations when we feel our heart is breaking, when we need to fight the challenge, but we need to surrender to the Lord. And I sometimes feel we do the opposite. We surrender to the challenge and we fight the Lord in it. And when we say surrender to the Lord, we don't mean just lie down like a doormat and say, well, what will be will be. God will do whatever he'll do. That's, that's not right. We know that. But we can take the challenge of faith to any, any situation, but in it, we're laying our heart down before the Lord and we're surrendering our heart before the Lord. Folks, I'm, I'm talking about something called brokenness. In Psalm 51, David reached this point. I'm going to read just a few verses so you don't need to turn to it. When he'd sinned, and this is the psalm of repentance. 
And, and David was at his lowest point. And he said this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And David had reached a point where he just got to the point of surrender with God. David had reached the end of himself. And that's what the Lord wants in all of us. And sometimes it's why we go through the things we go through. Because the Lord wants you to get to the end of yourself. And it might sound harsh, folks, but that's the process of maturity. Because there's less of you and more of him. Do you you understand what I'm saying? God doesn't want you to remain brokenhearted. But brokenness is not the same as being brokenhearted. Brokenness is a point of humility. A broken heart that's learned brokenness has become fully surrendered to God. And it's where all traces of self-assertion are gone. Do you know what I mean by that? Our hearts are new, but there's instincts still within of self-preservation. And there are certain situations where we have to abandon those to the Lord and trust ourselves to the Lord. And it gets us to a point of trust with him where he can do amazing things in us. And it's really painful. I've just found a couple of quotes on brokenness which, I, which really helped me to maybe understand this a little better. One of them is this. Brokenness is the stripping of self-reliance and independence from God. The broken person has no confidence in their own righteousness or their own works. For they are cast in total dependence upon the grace of God working in and through them. It's a full understanding of grace. And actually, that no man may boast, Paul said. It's all God. And it's getting to that point of humility before the Lord. Here's another one. This is Watchman Nee. This is quite difficult to understand, but... Towards himself, a Christian should have a broken spirit, but towards God, it should be one of always rejoicing in him. He rejoices not for its own sake, nor because of any joyful experience, work, blessing, or circumstance, but exclusively because God is his center. And here's the last one. This is from a a writer called Ironside, not the TV character. God is looking for broken people who have judged themselves in the light of the cross. When he wants anything done, he takes up people who have come to the end of themselves, whose confidence is not in themselves, but in God. Now, I'm I'm trying to be careful the way I'm putting this to you, because I don't want you to think that I'm saying God wants us all to be broken people. Not at all. What I'm talking about is that in the challenges we face... There's an opportunity for God to strip away all traces of self-reliance. And everything out in that world, folks, is about self-reliance. Every achiever, every success in that world is all about the strength they found within. That is not your calling, nor mine. Our calling is to find his strength within. So that not a trace of our fingerprints remains upon the finished work that we are when we go to glory. That we take not one single bit of credit for what God has done in us. Folks, none of us are there yet, are we? 
And it's, I realize it's a, it can be a painful thing, but this is the process of maturity. And God wants a people who have gone through this. You know, in Revelation, there's a, in Revelation 12, it talks about those who have overcome the evil one. And it says they overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and then often people forget the last bit, that they love not their lives unto the death. Now, for some people, they will go through martyrdom in this world. There's many of our brothers and sisters that face that daily. But for some of us, that's not the path that God has chosen for us. But there's still a death that has to happen. We have to love not our lives unto the death. And that's what brokenness is about. And the prize is your heart. God wants all of your heart. And just when you think you've given him all of your heart, the Lord will take you through something else that will show you there's a bit more to give and there's a bit more that he wants of you. And he's doing it, folks, because he loves you and because he knows what's ahead and he wants you to be the finished product. The very last thing I'll say is this. Um, Your body is just a vehicle. There's a very curious little verse further down where it says, um, verse 20. So verse 19 says, many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Now there's echoes here of what happened on the cross. It's remarked, John remarks, that not one of Jesus' bones were broken. To fulfill the scripture, the paschal lamb, they were told not to break any of the bones of the lamb. And maybe this is a a kind of a messianic verse in, in the Psalms, I don't know. But when I read that through and I thought about it, I thought the bones are not broken because it's important for the body to be kept intact, but only because the body is a vessel for the treasure that's within. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, look, your jars of clay, quite vulnerable really, but what's within is the treasure. And the jars of clay may be vulnerable at different times, but what counts is the treasure within. And I think we have to have things in the right perspective. There's a greater emphasis on our physical well-being in this world, and that's all good, and we should keep ourselves fit and healthy. But let's not that ever, let not that ever transplant itself to become more important than the health of your heart. Paul said this to Timothy, he said, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Folks, whatever you do with your body, it'll all be transformed when you get to glory. But your heart will go as it is. And that's a sobering thought. So let's take care of our bodies. Let's keep fit. It's good to do. But let's just keep it in perspective and say, this is only a vessel for the true treasure that's within. You spend more time down the gym and less time in the Word there's a problem there. Now, for some of us, spending any time down the gym would be a good thing. So I'll put my hands up to that. But seriously, we should be more in the word than we should focusing on our bodies and natural fitness and health. And sometimes, for some Christians, I think that's maybe an issue, which is why I've raised it. Your tongue sets the course. Your heart is the prize. And your body is just a vehicle to get you there. So my question to you today has been, are you faithfully fearful? Can you always be counted on to be fearful? 
in those situations? Or are you fearfully faithful? In other words, is the fear of God in your life causing you to have faith in him in all those situations? God wants you to be fearfully faithful today, folks. David framed his life in terms of praise. And he, he saw into the spiritual realities that were going on. And God wants us to do the same and has been speaking to us about that today, as you know. We need to fear the Lord, folks, and not the circumstances. We need to see into the heavenlies and not just the natural realm. And then we need to speak with faith. We have to recognize that fear is an enemy. But the fear of the Lord is our friend and will keep us in every situation. We need to make sure we use our tongues, therefore, to speak of the heavenly realities and to speak faith into every situation. And ultimately, the goal here is that we surrender our hearts to him and that we are humble before the Lord. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he raises us up and can do mighty things through us. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, I just want to thank you for all that you've said to us today. Father, we thank you that you have placed a king on the throne whose life is indestructible. Lord, we thank you that you've made us your children, made us your own. That, Lord, you've encamped yourself around us. That you are for us in every situation. And that, Lord, you will use us, not to tear down, Lord, but to build in this world, to build an everlasting kingdom that will last throughout these ages and all the ages to come. We say thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, folks. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Stony Stanton and 4 p.m. in Tamworth and Market Harborough. Feel free to come and visit us. We'd love to meet you.